Will. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, you know what? Ah, uh, I'm uh, I'm going to say tonight is a bittersweet kind of show. You know, um, I'm doing well. I'm, you know, this train wreck of a season is finally over, but you know, the the word train wreck is still in there. So, you know, I guess that's where the bittersweet comes from. It, it, it sucks that it was so sucky to watch such a suck fest and they could suck my big fat toe right now. Because there's a whole lot of suck going on. But, uh, you know, what doesn't suck is that it's over. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm hanging in there as a White Sox fan, just uh, waiting to get this offseason rolling. You know, we're uh, we're going to watch everybody else have fun in the postseason while we sit here and mull over new hires and new directions and all these other things. So, you know, just looking forward to uh, some sort of positive return over the next couple months here. But anywho, how you doing, man? How's things? I'm doing all right. You know, uh, can't complain too much. You know, I mean, the White Sox season's over. So, uh, you know, so much pain, <laughs> you know, this year. It was probably, it's definitely the most uh, unpleasurable baseball experience I've ever had. Um, worst season of our lives. Um, negative 200 run differential, uh, 61 and 101. They lost 100 games as uh, we probably, you know, we've been saying we, you know, that they probably would for, you know, a couple months now. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that came true. And um, so I don't know. I, Han and KW are gone. So, you know, I mean, essentially, we're just going to be uh, more or less seeing what, you know, what Chris Getz has planned. And, uh, you know, we've already seen one thing with the uh, with the coaching staff happen here already that we'll get into in a little bit. Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's just there. there's so many holes that need to be filled. And... Um, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, just this this year was just brutal, and I, I mean, <laughs> I, honestly, I'm just happy that it's over. You know, I, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just happy that this season's over because I don't want to look at it anymore. So, same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, I mean, that's pretty much about it. I mean, it was just terrible it was just not any fun um you know there was individual moments of you know okay baseball you know but it was it was all on a uh you know on a single player's achievement whenever anything good would happen i mean it was never anything that was team related because the the team was just a, a 
utter train wreck. And it was like, you know, if we got anything, it was a little tiny morsel of success for somebody. You know, I mean, we, we got to enjoy Luis Roberts' season this year, uh, finally get to see him play 140-plus games. And, you know, of course, he gets, uh, you know, for the last week, he's injured with the uh, strained uh, MCL. Um, but, you know, I mean, we find... I, I, Realistically, I mean, you got more health than you've gotten out of Eloy in a few years. You got more health than you expected out of Luis Robert. And Moncada was out for a while. And it took him a while to to, to finally get back to uh, being in baseball shape. And, you know, the last month or so, it looked like he was back on the path to becoming you know, that Yohan Mankata that everybody was hoping that we would get this year. And, you know, I a lot of people complaining, saying that, uh, you know, well, of course he's going to have a, you know, good last month, you know, so he retains his spot on the team and, you know, and then next year, you know, it's going to be a contract year. So he's going to have a great year next year because he's trying to look for that money. And it's, you know... <laughs> I don't, that's like a, a level of pessimism that I just don't go to, you know, like, I don't know. You know, there's, there's nothing to suggest that this back issue is ever going to fully go away with him. Uh, and it's a shame because we have seen those flashes, right? You know, you, you kind of allude to that, you know, in what you're saying right now, but we've, we've seen those moments of where yo-yo looks like he could be a breakout star. But he can't stay healthy. And this isn't, you know, just one or two seasons. This is five years of this guy. Yeah. You know, just, you know, we we, we talk about his, we go back to his rookie season. And we talk about how much better his rookie season could have been if he wasn't being squeezed by every umpire in the league. You know, he was getting that whole, that rookie squeeze. But, you know, the, the, the whole thing about him during his rookie year was this guy's got an impeccable eye. He's going to see a lot of good pitches, you know, once he gets past that rookie squeeze. And, you know, his second year in the league, we saw those flashes of him looking like he might be a breakout star. But again, he had some injury issues and they just never seem to be something that's 100%. You know, he, he's never 100% ever. And I don't know that being in a contract season next year is going to have any kind of impact on his game unless he gets healthy he he is what he is so I, you know i don't know man I, I it's difficult especially when you hear quotes like we have stars multiple on this team and we just need to put the players around them that want to play the game of baseball with those stars and play the game the way it's supposed to be played we, we get quotes like that and we're going ah, i don't know I, I don't know. I, right now, I feel like we have star. And that's one season of star in Luis Robert. So, I, you know, is there the potential to have stars multiple? Absolutely. Eli. Eli. Oh, Lord. Wow. Uh, Aloy could could potentially be a star if he figures Close. out how to, you know, be a, the DH that everybody thinks he should be and not be an everyday outfielder. Uh, and we've seen flashes of that too, where, you know, he potentially could be that guy. 
Uh, Yoan Moncada, if he can be healthy, could be a star. But again, you know, for all the reasons I just gave and, and what you were kind of alluding to, I don't know if that's possible. Andrew Vaughn, we were kind of hoping would take that next step, but the power numbers just weren't there for the entire season. You know, he started off with a little bit of pop in his bat this year and it just kind of fell off. Uh, yeah, there are potential stars on this team, but honestly, I feel like right, as of right now, there's one. And his stardom also hinges on remaining healthy. So, yeah, I don't really know, man. You know, and I have the very fortunate luck of being the only White Sox fan in my place of business where I work. So after being out on vacation the last couple of weeks, as uh, our listeners know, I spent some time in Mexico with the wife. And uh, then uh, last week uh, came back home when uh, came down with the old uh, Covis, Covis, if you will. <laughs> and uh, spent last week at home as well. So today was my first day back in three weeks. And, uh, you know, all the Cub fans that I work with were asking me how I felt. And I pretty much told them, like, you know what? As much as I hate to admit it, I would rather have had the Cub season that you guys had, even with that epic collapse in the last week and a half of the season where you're blowing games in the eighth and ninth inning and not being able to, to secure that playoff spot. But at least they had an entertaining season. I was not entertained as a White Sox fan, and I was very straight up with those guys about it. And, you you know, I was expecting to get the ridicule and, and the ribbing that, you know, happens between White Sox and Cubs fans when you get into these conversations, and nobody did that. It was almost like they were like, hey, bro, this is your funeral, and we're not going to dog you. So, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Yeah. Are you with? That's, I, I mean, I would have also, you know, liked to have had the, you know, the White Sox to have had the, the season that the Cubs had because it looked like they actually figured something out, you know, and some of the guys took steps forward and they brought up guys from minor league baseball and, you know, other than PCA, which people were complaining that he didn't get uh, a lot of playing time, um, which, you know, ended up costing them because, uh, you know, like some plays weren't made and whatever out in the outfield but you know you know at least there was some excitement there you know i mean with the white Sox, there was there was it was like a death march from april you know mid-april it was just like oh here we go again you know well you know and the thing is is you talk about that they had guys that they brought up that that did some things they also had some off-season acquisitions that did some things, you know, okay. Dansby Swanson wasn't exactly the, the, the world beater that everybody hoped he would be, but still very solid uh, shortstop for them. You know, he wasn't the same guy as he was with the Braves, but he had a good season. And then you look at what Cody Bellinger did for the Cubs and you're going, why can't the white Sox sign a guy from outside the organization that, you know, everybody and their brother goes, this guy's got potential. And okay, yeah, maybe he's coming off an injury and we're not 100% sure, but we're going to give him a chance. No, uh, we're going to go dumpster diving for guys that, you know, Rick Hahn wanted out of the draft five, six years ago. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, Ben Intendi was a dumpster dive, but he wasn't exactly the finishing piece that we were hoping for, right? Yep. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's just difficult to be a White Sox fan right now and watch not just the rest of the league do it, but the guys on the North side do it. And then like, you know, people like me who got to go to work with these people every day and listen to it day in and day out. And, you know, we know how that goes. Yep. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not fun. So, you know, when you get to this point in the season and they actually have pity on you, that just goes to show you how bad it really was. Where Cubs fans are literally showing pity. When, when when they're showing pity, that's when you know that you know you're going through it. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> right. uh, yeah, just brutal, man. Um, uh, Brian Ramos just uh, doubled to the uh, left center field wall in the uh, AFL, so that's uh, a double for. Uh, a double for Jacob Burke and a double for Ramos. Um, Not a bad start to the AFL for those guys. Yeah, yeah, I can't complain about that. Doing, hey, I'd like to see the guys in the org do a little something, something. Yep, that's nice. Um, yeah, so the last week of the season was pretty much um, well, the last the last. Uh, series of the season against the Padres was more of the same. Um, no offense, um, getting shut down by the Padres and, uh, lost, you know, got swept and yeah, lost some low scoring affairs. And, um, you know, the pitch on the, on the plus side, the pitching, the pitching looked pretty decent. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, again, no hitting, no stringing hits together. Um, you know, hardly any power to speak of and you know, well, you you know and a couple the crazy of solo thing, shots you get you get the pitching you know that you talk about in in this series but uh it's shocking to me that here we are at the end of the season 101 losses and the two most consistent pitchers that you knew what you could expect start in and start out from those guys was Tuki Toussaint and Mike Clevenger you know, were they the best pitchers on on the roster? Not necessarily, but you knew exactly what you were going to get. The rest of those guys, I mean, I guess you could say you pretty much knew what you were going to get out of Michael Kopech. He is going to go up there and give you three solid innings somewhere in a five-inning start. So, somewhere, gonna, yeah. Yeah, you don't know which three innings it was going to be, but he was going to give you two innings where, you know, he he walks, you know, six, seven, eight guys in a, in a two or three inning stretch and gives up four or five dingers. You know, Dylan Cease was just a model of inconsistency this season, up and down and, you know, couldn't find his out pitch and, you know, giving up some hard contact because he's got to, you know, he's got to throw balls. He's getting behind on, on, on hitters, you know, Lance Lynn before he was traded uh, was the guy who would go out there and just throw you know, fastballs right down the middle and get touched up and throw, you know, 35 pitches in the first inning every start. I, it's just, it's insane that what we hoped was going to be one of the strengths of this team really was probably the biggest weakness in starting it pitching. Was, yeah, starting pitching was fairly terrible. I mean, I, there there wasn't a facet of the game that the White Sox excelled at. I mean, I'll just be honest. I mean, their hitting was bad. Their base running was bad. Their fielding was bad. Their pitching was bad. I mean, there wasn't really anything that they excelled at this year. You know, at least last year that you could point to some things that they did well. And uh, this this year, there's really nothing to hang your hat on when it comes to no. that. 
And no, like I, I said, mean, when you get Tukey and and Clevenger at the beginning of the season, people calling him SP five because you know off field antics, whatever. But you know when you when those are your two most consistent guys, and you knew what you were going to get out of them every start, started and started out. That's that's shameful. Uh, and I know that we kind of teased it a little bit in our uh, Twitter header uh, this morning, but we'll get into our uh, preseason <laughs> predictions. I was just going to bring that up. I mean, it's uh, literally, I, I want to say that one, my one prediction from last year that Luis Robert was going to lead the entire team in home runs and doubles and triples and uh, RBIs, that came true this year. It was a year late, but yeah, it did you, come true. Yeah, you're late, and literally everything else that I had predicted, literally everything else was just way off, just because nobody on the team performed except for Luis Robert, you know? <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not even, like, really worth getting into because uh, I just look in the mirror and I go, you're an idiot <laughs> because I was wrong on everything. So, um, yeah, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'd like for our listeners to chime in with who of you predicted the White Sox would have 100 losses? Because, honestly, we could go down the list of predictions that we made uh, bold or not so bold early uh, in the in the season or before the season started this year, and I would say we probably missed on, oh, I don't know, a hundred percent of those predictions. So really, it's probably not even worth getting into completely. But uh, you know, I would like to know if anybody saw this coming. You know, there were I'm sure there were a handful of people out there that thought maybe we were being a little optimistic in some of our stuff, but uh, I don't think anybody saw this epic of a collapse. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I knew, uh, you know, in Facebook groups and stuff, uh, I did see, you know, some people that were uh, around 500-ish, you know, l- looking. Uh, hey, Rigant, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for stopping in. Um, you hey, know, it, there, there was, you know, some people that said that the team was going to finish around 500. And, you know, of course, uh, Grimtall, you know, with his... Uh, you know, the White Sox are going to lose as many games as the Dodgers are going to win, um, which he said in jest ended up. Uh, I, did, I didn't even, you know what, come to think of it, I never even looked at, uh, I never looked at the final total for how many games the Dodgers won. And I'm going to look because um, I want to say the, uh, the Dodgers did win 100 games because they became the, like the first team in history to win like 100 games four years in a row. So I don't know if it ended up being exactly that. 101. <laughs> How hilarious would that be? Um, wow. Let's see here. It ended up being 162. The White Sox lost more games than the Dodgers won. And they won 100 games. I mean, it's insane. And, I mean, but that's uh, a hell of a, a prediction, even if it was in jest and just kind of a joke. Uh, and he was only off by a game. Uh, Ray Gant says, I predicted back in spring training that the White Sox were going to be eliminated from playoff contention in spring training. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> me. I, would, I would say that, you know, for the most part, though, you know, most people were at least, you know, like thinking that it wasn't going to be worse than last year. You know? And yeah. uh, it ended up being uh, 
ridiculously worse. You know, uh, twenty games worse. So much. So twenty much games worse. worse than last year, and you know, I I can't really think of one thing that I would pin it on. You know, I mean, like really realistically, like the only like real thing that changed was, you know, like the, the real huge thing that changed was that Abreu was gone. You know, like yeah. that was the one thing. And and you saw his stats down in uh, Houston. Like if he had been here and doing that and they had re-signed him for a $20 million contract and that's what they had gotten, White Sox, White Sox fans would be going ballistic about that. And, right. you know. Yeah, for been, all oh, the complaints about walk. Andrew Vaughn. For all the complaints about Andrew Vaughn this year, Jose Abreu numbers in Houston were worse. So, not by a lot, but they were definitely worse. Uh, yeah, not much of a conundrum there for uh, for me. And uh, you and I both predicted it. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say predicted, but we both agreed that it was it was time to move on from Jose. Uh, and it's it's one of those ones where it's a it's a tough pill to swallow to say you know this guy gave us his best years here and we were hoping that that competitive window would not have slammed shut as hard as it did, but uh, you know no harm no foul I guess in Jose's mind right now. Yeah, I mean uh, he has to be. I mean he's going to the playoffs. He's got to be thrilled. Right. You know he's at least seeing the postseason. You know there was no chance of that happening here on the South Side this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even had he stayed, there would have been no, no. shot. I mean, like he, they might have, you know, been six games closer to five hundred. <laughs> so, Maybe. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. They would have been fifteen games under five hundred then, or fourteen games under five hundred. Obviously, not going to change anything. Um, so the season ended with a nice uh, extra innings loss on. Game 162, the White Sox end up losing in extras. Um, afterwards, and it wasn't mentioned, uh, you know, in press conference or anything like that that I can think of. It might, it might have happened, like, I think it was after the after the presser maybe, but I could be wrong. But uh, the bullpen coach, Kurt Hassler, was moved out of the bullpen role and you know, in true White Sox fashion, he is being reassigned to somewhere in the minor league system. Now, yeah, where we don't even know yet. Yeah, and my my question here is, if you're not feeling that you want to keep Kurt Hassler in the bullpen role. With veterans. With with veterans. <laughs> and, you know, you hear, I mean, and I, like, this is the thing, I don't even really care about this nonsense that came out where they were talking about uh, Santos sleeping in the dugout or what, or in the, in the bullpen or whatever. Even aside from that, why would you put him in charge of the guys that you're trying to mold into major league baseball players if you don't feel comfortable having him around guys that are already supposed to have those fundamentals in check 
why are you sending him elsewhere to teach other guys stuff like that is okay? Because essentially that's the way I look at it is if he's not good enough to be with guys that are supposed to be polished veterans or guys that are major league ready, why am I going to put him around young, impressionable minds? You know, in, in, in some other jobs in the world, you know, a demotion might look exactly like that. It's, this is a demotion. We're not going to fire you, but you're being demoted. It's a punishment for not doing the job that you were being paid to do. But in the world of baseball, when you go from the major league club down to the minor league system, this is where you're molding the young minds the guys that need the coaching, the guys that need the skills to become major league ready baseball players, whether it be on the field or off the field, these are your most impressionable of players. You know, it's like taking a toddler and moving them up into the, you know, the ages of childhood and then from childhood in the teenage years and adulthood. It's, it's no different. I mean, that's the levels of minor league baseball all the way up to the major league club. It's like nurturing a child into his into, into his formative years and growth throughout those formative years and molding them into the man that he is supposed to be at, 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 at some point. Why would I want to give that guy any control over that situation? And see, the, like the thing is, is that I'm not necessarily saying that he's a bad coach or that I think that he, you know, that he is any bit of the problem with no, that I'm team. Sure he's not, honestly. But my question is, is if you're in a GM role, why is, if, if I was going to pick anything in any position in the coaching staff to say, that's the problem, the bullpen coach would be the last place I would be pointing a finger at this particular moment. You know, with especially with how badly these guys were abused all season because the starting pitchers couldn't go longer than three innings for the first, you know, two and a half months of the season. Right. You know, I mean, right. and, and then you, you lose Liam Hendricks right out of the gate, you know. Yeah, he comes uh, back for what, like five innings or something, and then you lose him again. Yeah, and he comes back with a torn UCL, you know? I mean, right. it's like we've always known that it was partially torn, but, uh, you know, come to find out that he came back and he knew that he was going he was going to need the surgery. So, I mean, realistically, he came back with a complete disregard for the team's performance, and he kind of went out there and did it for himself, which, I mean, I guess is cool. But, you know, when you're throwing 90-mile-an-hour straight fastballs and your slider's not going anywhere and your arm's about ready to fall off. You know, since he's had that partial UCL tear going back four or five, six years, however long it is, he's been pitching through that. Uh, And then to go through cancer treatment, which is going to take its toll on your body. And, you know, everybody says about – we we heard – and kudos to him for everything that he – and went through and was able to get himself as healthy as he possibly could uh, and as quickly as he could because, you know, when this all went down, we thought he might be gone for the season. And for him to make it back before, you know, the All-Star break, long before the All-Star break even, uh, you know, a great, great story. Yeah, 100%. You know, it doesn't do 
the team any good for him to come back in that situation. Him as a person, fantastic. I'm glad that he is healthy uh, when it comes to cancer anyway. You know, obviously the UCL is not healthy, but I'm I'm glad that him and his family are, are going to be able to stay together for much longer than, uh, you know, than it, it had he not been able to uh, beat his cancer, right? But yeah, 100%. it does not I do mean, the organization any good for him to come back, pitch five innings, knowing that he's probably not feeling right already. Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent, you know, it's like, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying, you know, oh, he's being selfish because, you know, he, he wants to help the team. Like I get it. He's a gamer, but, uh, you know, when your arm's ready to fall off, your arm's ready to fall off. You should just say, you know, it's just not going to happen. No, but, and, but as you say too, you know, in the, in the, in the, the realm of the whole Kurt Hasler conversation, you know, he and the bullpen were probably the farthest from the biggest issues, uh, you know, that pertain to the collapse that this season was. Uh, I mean, there's like, you know, we've said it multiple times. You've said it a couple times already just during this show that there's really no one place to point a finger and say this, this right here was the problem. This is what kept them from winning games. Uh, but, you know, it's the, all those little things when you start adding them up. When you when you got guys like Liam Hendricks who aren't there, and you got a bullpen that's being overused, and you got a starting staff that can't go more than three, four, five innings was like hallelujah, you know. Yeah. And you got guys that can't walk, and you got guys that can't hit the ball out of the infield. You got guys that can't definitely hit the ball out of the park unless you're named, you know, Louis Robert Jr. Uh, you know each one of those little things turns into a big thing. It, like, like you've said before, you, you likened the whole thing to that cartoon with the snowball effect where it starts out as a snowball. And by the time it gets down the mountain, it's, you know, it's a boulder the size of the mountain. Yep. Um, so speaking I'm of, sorry, I, I'm it's just, I'm, this is my therapy. So, uh, you know, yeah, I might be repeating fine. a lot of what we said before, but the bitch fest is on. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> It's and you know, you know we, we talk about Kurt Oh God, I'm sorry. I mean, we've got you know, like this week is like uh, is the time to get it out because you know after this week it's uh, you know we watch some playoffs and see what happens and then it's on to the off season and then we've got it's really time to get to work. Yeah, and I mean, Chris Getz, you know, better be getting to better be getting to work right now. Um, well, you know, we talked about some of those new hires that, uh, you know, came in in the last week or so. We did that in, in last week's show. And, uh, you know, there were definitely some po- there were some definite positives with uh, some of these guys that have been hired under the organization. Um, but, you know, it still leaves me with some pause. Even when I hear about these positive hires, because when there are whispers coming from league personnel, team personnel, people who have been around the game, who know the game. This isn't just, you know, podcasters and bloggers saying this kind of thing. But when you hear from people that are in the know that Chris Getz is totally outmatched for the job and the role that he's in right now, and that the level of confidence from so-called baseball experts is pretty freaking low, that doesn't leave me with uh, a whole lot of hope. No. Yeah, I mean, when when I've got, you know, people telling me that uh, he's got no business doing the job and can't 
you know, have a conversation with you with, you know, while looking at you is, is a, uh, an interesting uh, choice. Um, so if you don't you say know, short of launching the entire staff, which I would not personally be personally be upset with, um, especially with the addition of Bannister and allowing him to go out and find somebody to fill the vacant position with the pitching, you know, as as far as pitching coach goes, um, unless he really feels that Ethan Katz is, is worth having around, which he may, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, they worked, you know, previously they worked together in San Francisco. So it could be possible that he's like, oh, yeah. You know that's fine. Let's have him around. He's you know he's good guy to work with, and he's got uh, he's got good ideas. He probably just needs some help. You know, and it's like when you look at the entire pitching staff and what the entire pitching staff was doing. I I have to imagine that him being one person with all of those guys just having you know garbage time <laughs> out there on the mound that it is so many problems for him to try and fix. That it's it's just it's too much for one you know for one or two guys you know and um, if you were to change, uh, I'm going to go out on a, on a on the ledge here and say that uh, Daryl Boston would be one of the first people that you'd get rid of. See, I you know to be honest with you, when this overhaul happened with the coaching staff, I was quite shocked that uh, Debo was still around. You know, uh, he served a role and a purpose for a long time on this team, and it was time to part ways, and they did not. So if he's back next season, yet I would yet. be right. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm getting at. If if he's back next season, then I'd be really extremely shocked. Yeah, I. You know, the thing is, is that when you look at you know all these guys that were brought in, Eddie Rodriguez, um, Jose Castro. Uh, Charlie Montoyo, um, who Luis Robert doesn't even know his name. He probably does at this point because, (laughs) because it was mentioned so many times, but, uh, Pedro Grafal, like these guys that were all, that were all brought in the, the new guys, quote, the quote unquote new guys, Mike Tosar, um, the major league field coordinator, Mike Tosar, um, we saw, Tim Anderson become the worst position positional player in baseball this year with the addition of the major league field coordinator. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't see how any of these guys are going to keep their jobs. And especially with the amount of managers that are hitting the market right now, and guys that uh, you know, and you know, I, TLR obviously, you know, his age was, um, <laughs> you know, certainly a, a lightning rod for the fan base, saying that uh, <laughs> you know he was uh, out of touch, and you know he had a history of saying some some really stupid things and uh, and doing stupid things, and then he gets hired, and then it comes out that he's been driving on uh you know driving on his rims because he hit curbs with his car and his car's on fire and whatever you know like i'm not saying that you know that i necessarily want an old guy as a manager but 
you know, when you see the Home amount of baseball person. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you see like the amount of guys that are that are going to be available after this season, that are guys that are you know that have a you know at least a certain pedigree, and they've already told Pedro that he's you know that he's golden for next year. Yet you've got all these guys coming out and available to take over that position. You know, like I kind of look at it as uh, as negligence for them to keep him at this point. You know, right? And then you know the, the rumors of you know some of the new hires and 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 continued search for new people to bring in the organization and we're, we're bringing in more people from Kansas city because their, their, their organization is so successful since, you know, making the, you know, the world series. And what was that? 2015, eight years ago, 2014 and 15, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 2014 and 15, they lost in 14 and then one in 15. That's what I'm saying though. Since they're winning 15, you know, uh, I don't know how you measure up success, but uh, they have been less than, uh, less than 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 uh, inspiring. I will say. To, yeah, uh, try to keep they, it, you know, nice. They here. caught a two-year lightning in a bottle, like the White Sox caught one-year lightning in a bottle in two thousand five, and had a bunch of guys that over, you know, overachieved, and did it as a team. And they won, you know, they went to a World Series one year, and then the next year they won the World Series. And they made a couple of good pickups, you know, uh, you know, Zobrist and a couple other guys. They made a couple of nice pickups that really aided them in, in that. And um, just happened to get the, the right mix in there, and it, it happened to work. But ever since then, they've been terrible. Before that, they were terrible, you know? And, and it's I don't, not like them and bringing up young guys who are – you know, fire starters. And, and this is not, you know, something that we can point at, well, you know, this guy left and that guy left. And that's why the, you know, the Royals have collapsed. No, they did have a bunch of guys age out, retire. They did have a bunch of guys leave the organization, but it's not like they had anybody coming through the system behind any of these guys. That was like, Hey, this team could guy. still be a contender. Yeah. He's a no. guy. Yeah. He's a dude. It was but like, gonna, once it was continue. done, it's done. Yeah, it was over. It was yeah. over. There was nothing. There was nothing in the pipeline. There was nothing to be excited about for them, uh, you know. And and this is the this is the organization that we want to continually take personnel from to bring along the White Sox and develop our young guys and hope that something somewhere along the lines we catch that lightning in a bottle that has been elusive for the last eight years. Yeah, I mean, that we're blaming these guys from. Realistically, what we've seen from the Royals is that if you draft Bobby Witt Jr., then you're going to have a really good player. Because, I mean, it's not like they really developed him at all. He was just, he's just very talented. Yeah, he was a stud coming out in the draft. You know, the the guy didn't need much polishing. No. Yeah, and that's a, this is, this is a, uh, a bit of a bugaboo with me as well. This whole thing about, uh, you know, especially, with the uh, the way that people have been talking about the White Sox farm system not developing any talent. And one of my favorite ones that people have started talking about because they're doing really, really well right now is they start talking about the Baltimore Orioles. 
talking about, oh, well, look at how good the Orioles have gotten with all this young talent that they've developed. Uh, you know, developed. Adley, no, the Adley Rushman was an absolute stud. Number, yeah, number one pick. Uh, Colton Kowser. You know, uh, it's like right. all these guys, all these guys that are like coming up. Heston Kirstad, uh, all these guys that are coming up were first or second rounders. Right. And when you were as bad as the Orioles were for as long as you were, you were going to get a bunch of those high draft picks. Exactly. You were going to get a bunch of young guys who were close to MLB ready when they were drafted. Yep. And I mean, I'm not saying that, they, that you know, that the White Sox have a better track record than the Orioles do as far as developing talent. But I mean, let's be honest, like some of these guys that they picked are just really stinking talented. And it's not like they, it's not like they had them for a while. And then all of a sudden they were like, Oh, now I understand how to play baseball. These guys came in and they were just really good. (laughs) And it just happens to be that they have, because they're picking, you know, first and, 38th or whatever or 41st or whatever it is that when you pick that early in the draft that you're able to amass a lot of talent you know yeah it's gonna happen you would think the white Sox with some of their uh some of their higher uh draft slots you know when you're drafting in that you're you're slotting in at three four and six you know three years in a row or whatever it was uh you would hope that they were gonna hit and some of those, and unfortunately, didn't work out that way. Well, I mean, you know, this, this they, is... they picked the safe guys, and and the safe guys, um, I hate to say it, but unfortunately, more often than not, the safe guys, you know what you're getting. Problem is, is the ceiling doesn't really rise from where they're at. Yeah, they, well, they might have a they might have a high floor. It's the uh, the old argument of, um, you know low ceiling, high floor guys, you know, that they're trying to draft a bunch of, you know, low ceiling, high floor guys, guys that are just going to fill out the organization and whatever. But the problem here is, is that as we've had this conversation numerous times on stream and off stream, that it's about talent evaluation. When the White Sox had, you know, the... Uh, number you know three, number four pick in the draft. The guy that they chose was never the right guy. It's no. just the way it ended up. Is that it? Just never ended up being the right guy. No, and if I think back, you know, you and I spent a couple of those draft days together, and we were doing our uh, you know, pre-draft assessments on on guys that were going to be picked and. Every time it came for the White Sox to make that top five, top ten draft pick, every time they drafted a guy, we went, man, that's not really the guy I was hoping they would get. Every single time you're looking at the board and you're going, man, I really hope they would have went for this guy. And we were like, you know, what we gave him the benefit of the doubt each time. Oh, Nick Madrigal, supposed to be the best pure hitter in his draft class. Fine. We'll give him an opportunity. Maybe they know know something that we don't. He doesn't strike out. He's a, he's supposedly a good defender. Uh, Great base okay, runner. So Very high he's, baseball IQ. Not yeah, so much. Yeah, he's a, he's a slap hitter who's got a, a gap power. Not gonna hit. Not gonna hit the ball out of the park, but he's got gap power. You know. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Swinging a miss on that one. Great base runner, huh? 
Yeah. Watch that guy fall down on, on, on the base pads. I don't know how many times. You know, yeah. uh, I, it, it's just it's 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 a tough pill to swallow. Yep. When guys like you and I and, and and others that we spend some time with at these draft parties and and having these discussions pre-draft with, and you know we're just couch GMs, we're armchair GMs, and uh, we're seeing the things that are coming to fruition in real life. How is it that these talent evaluators for MLB ball clubs are getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money to miss? Well, you know, I mean, we have talked about this uh, several times, you know, that, um, you know, we don't know who was, who was bumping in and, insisting on who gets drafted and whether the scouts actually were the ones who wanted these guys. That's That's been part of the problem is that we never knew where to assess and lay blame, you know? So hopefully with yeah, this whole thing true. that that, uh, that kind of helps out and, you know, uh, Chris gets, gets people that he wants in those positions and he lets them do their job and they do the job well. I mean, that's the only thing we can, yeah. we can say. All right, so there was a... Uh, Pedro Grafal made a quote when they were uh, talking about uh, what was going to happen with the staff uh, going into this year. Pedro said, it's a very sensitive issue. When you talk about the staff, you talk about people that have been here for a long, long time. Unfortunately, this is a game that's predicated on wins and losses. So obviously every year this is a tough time of the year for staff. We'll talk about talk more about that in the next few days. Now, my question is if you lose 101 games and literally every I mean every player on the on the roster took a step back except for Luis Robert. Everybody took a step back. There's there's not one other hitter that actually improved except for maybe Andrew Vaughn, possibly just the fact that he was above average as a hitter this year, which just barely at 103 WRC plus, um, that like, that's like your, your one guy that, that didn't get worse, but everybody else pretty much got worse. How can you, and and the fielding got worse, the defense got worse. I mean, literally everything about the team got worse on a fundamental level. And yeah, baseball IQ seemed to drop across a, a the lot, a lot. And this is the quote that he comes out with to say that oh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about this. You know, everything's you know based on wins and losses in this league. Well, so we're really going to have to have some tough conversations. And the Let's thing is you, when here, you start man. talking about uh, some of these guys have been, you know these are obviously people that have been around for a good long while. Who? I mean we just went down the list of all the new hires they made last year. You know, guys really been around. There you go. So is that a precursor to the you know the only change we're going to make is Debo's going to be out the door cuz if that's the case I like what are we talking about here? Yeah, and Daryl Boston and uh, and Ethan Katz. That's like the two holdovers, right? You know, so and Kurt Hassler, <laughs> which Kurt, Who you know, we just got demoted. Yeah, I mean, whatever. So um, <clears throat> that's that's what the the moves are going to be, and you're just going to fill in with 
you know, what other, whatever random guy from the Royals happens to be available at this particular time. (laughs) And that's going to make the White Sox better. Um, You know, I wonder what Charlie Montoyo is saying in this organization right now, because you're talking about a guy who I think was let go from his managerial position. uh, Let's just say a little bit prematurely. Uh, and was doing some pretty good things where he was at. And now you bring him in. At, we bring in a first-time manager. And you've got an experienced manager as your bench coach. I, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's some things that are all kinds of wrong. In, yeah. In those tires last year and now moving forward into this year. I, again, confidence is low. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of wonder, you know, what is going on behind closed doors and what's being said. I mean, obviously I'm sure everybody does, but I mean, I just wonder, you know, it's like you've, you've walked in on a conversation from people that you've, uh, that you've known throughout your entire life. You know, you ran into a couple of people that aren't exactly bright and then you walk into a room and you hear their conversation and you're just kind of doing, going about your business, doing what you're doing, but you're hearing what they're talking and you're just like, what the what is wrong with yeah like i i you know like that's kind of how i it's kind of how i see these things you know it's like i i'm i'm walking into a room and like just in the you know behind me talking i just hear like uh two dim people having a conversation and i'm like what are these guys doing here you know oh lord i know exactly what you mean (sighs) anywho um and you know they asked yasmani grandal and I don't have that quote in front of me right off, you know, like I don't have it ready here. But no, uh, he's, he said that uh, that he thinks that Pedro's uh, – he's good and that uh, he's good for, for a young team and that he'll help a young team. How? It says the guy who's uh, on his way out. Yeah, Well, I think that's exactly it. The guy who's who's – Who's quoted as saying he's going to test free agency? You don't. You're gonna. This is your. It was his decision. He wants it to be his decision that he was right. going to test free agency. Sure, buddy. Yeah, it's your decision. All right. Yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the whole thing's just super frustrating. Not that I need to tell you that, but uh, so uh, <laughs> another thing that has come out in the last uh, last little while since the. Uh, last game here tim anderson has come out and said oh, that he's yes. willing to move positions um does that move the needle for you in any way shape or form uh about t- picking up his 14 million dollar option for next year absolutely not 100 percent no uh, as a matter of fact, I think that hurts his chances. If he if he all of a sudden wants to be a second baseman, and the reason I say that, as I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again, there are more moving parts to be a second baseman than there is on any other position in the infield. You are involved, besides maybe a first baseman, you're involved in, you know, in the first baseman, when I say he's involved in, in a lot of plays, it's just because somebody's throwing the ball at him. If you can scoop and you can stretch, and you can field. I mean, you don't have to be the best fielder in the world. You just got to be able to field a, you know, the average regular grounder. Uh, you can be a pretty good first baseman in baseball. You know, footwork essentially is is your biggest thing when you're, you know, working the base. Uh, 
as a second baseman, there are more moving parts than there are for a shortstop. Uh, you know, you're going to have to work the wheel play. You've got to be able to now turn the double play from a different angle completely. Uh, and we, we've all seen what Tim does as a shortstop where he's already kind of lined up moving towards first base to make the throw as a shortstop on the turn. Uh, when balls are hit the other way, and now he's going to be making the turn from second base, I'm not real comfortable and confident that he's going to be able to make those throws. Uh, you know, there's just a lot going on. You know, being a cutoff man from a different angle or position, especially knowing the outfielders that we have that can't seem to hit a cutoff man anyway. You know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, it just doesn't feel good. Uh, the only thing that he's got going for him moving to second base is it's a position that is not as necessarily known for being the most offensive of position players in the infield. And he struggled mightily at the plate this year. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like uh, I don't feel like that helps his chances. You know, at the same time, the free agent market for middle infielders this year isn't exactly great either. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the show before, and I will continue to say the same thing. You know, I might just be parroting over and over and over again, but I would rather see some of these young kids get moved up and give them an opportunity to develop because the White Sox aren't winning anything next year anyway. No, they are not. I'd say that that is a fair, that is a fair assessment that the White Sox are not going to be competing for much of anything next year. And, you know, like you Ray, know, unless they decide to open up $200 million in, 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 on the books in the off season. I mean, even if they did, though, I mean, they still have. Yeah, you got you got to build a, t- a starting rotation, and you've got a bunch of holes in position players that you need to fill. Yeah, uh, I just don't see them being. They might. I I would hope to God they're more competitive next year than they were this year. Uh, but they are not going to be some you know playoff-seeking world beaters going out there, and Tim Anderson is the guy we need playing second base to get us over the hump. I'm yeah. sorry, not sorry. No, yeah, and it's like the, that's there's the I I can think of no reason why I would think that he would improve moving to a different position. You know, I I think that he right. would just end up, you know, making his errors over there instead of at shortstop. You know, yeah, like negative sixteen, seventeen DRS. Last time we talked about this yeah. a week ago, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's going to find new footwork and new arm angle and, and better throws from second base. Sure, it's a shorter throw on the routine play, but again, like we talked about, it's a different throw. Uh, on you know the turning two and going into the hole and all these things, do we expect him to be able to make those plays as opposed to the ones that he's been you know missing at shortstop? I don't know, you know I don't buy it. Yeah, I got a couple of questions here that I got uh, earlier that I hadn't uh, hadn't mentioned until now, but um, said uh, he was asking about the injury to Hendricks and the team blowing more than forty saves and. You know, I part of the part of the issue, yeah, is that these guys are blowing saves. But like my my major issue here is that a, um, yes, they did blow saves, 
but you were also asking a lot out of guys that weren't, you know, that not necessarily high leverage guys, first off. Second off, um, when you are winning three to two in the, you know, in the seventh inning or the eighth inning, you know, you're not going to win scoring two runs a game. You know, and no, that's, and that's the thing. You know, one run ball games. If we're talking about blowing saves, and does having a healthy Liam Hendricks for the entire course of the season change the outcome? Sure, well, he would have been absolutely. traded. He would have absolutely been traded. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, if we talk about blowing forty saves, uh, let's be honest, you're not going to get that number to zero ever because every team's got blown saves. So it's not like we're talking about a forty game swing. First off, you know, every team's going to have ten, twelve. 15 blown saves over the course sure, of the year. I, I, the people, more, I think uh, I think like the best teams even had way more than that. They had like 30-something. So it's not like the right. White Sox were far. I, I remember looking this up, uh, I don't know, probably about a month and a half ago. And, uh, you know, the White Sox were in the middle of the pack when it came to blown saves. Right. And there was no correlation between blown saves and how many games your team won. You know, because right. there was teams that were far worse that were first in their division. Right. So, I mean, it, I think it's, uh, you know, ratio-wise, uh, you would think that the White Sox, because they had blown 30, 40 saves, that they would have been worse. But the thing was is that percentage-wise, they weren't any worse than, like, a bunch of teams that yeah. were way ahead of them in the standings. So, yeah, when you're middle of the road, it, 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 the, the real – the real question in that is, like, like I said, how many of those blown saves come in one-run games as opposed to a team that's going to go out and win games by three, four, five runs? And, you know, your closer doesn't even get that opportunity to blow that save because you're putting up runs to win games. Uh, and that's really where the outlier is comes to that stat for the White Sox. They just weren't putting up the offensive numbers to get into the win column often enough. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when you lose, I mean, you're losing one run games, you're losing two run, three run games because your relievers are giving up a grand slam. I mean, yeah, that technically that's a blown save. But the thing is, is that, you know, if you're only scoring two or three runs a game for most of the year, I don't think, I, I mean, personally, I don't really think it matters. You, the, we just, right. we know that the offense wasn't putting up enough runs. Right. And um, that's really what it comes down to. You got to be able to score to win in this league. And it was not happening far as near enough as it should have been. True that. Uh, second co- uh, question was the coaching staff seemed quiet. Why weren't the other coaches advising and helping Pedro more? I mean, I can't speak to. Um, I mean, that's kind say, of what I was getting at, Charlie, I mean, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. But like the my, my thinking here is is that how do I know how vocal these coaches are? You know, yeah, and how much they're, they're doing in the dugout. You know, yeah. we don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. Yeah, how much how much do I know that uh you know how do you know like we asked the same question about TLRs that if the other coaches are saying something to him, how much is he listening? You know, it's like when you when you hear Pedro Grafal in his uh, inner, you know, in his pressers afterwards talking to these reporters, what about his answers and his body language and the way he answers questions would suggest to you 
that suggesting something to him, you know, in the in the gonna, dugout would fall on deaf ears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what about like the answers that you know the the Jim Boylanish answers that you get oh, would not great. You know, count, by the way, I mean. I mean, I wasn't, I, I, you know, James Fox has been saying it for a while, but I mean, it's a hundred percent true. Like the answers that you get from him are, are ridiculous. And, you know, the thing about Jim Boylan was, is that he always thought he was right. Yeah. You, you know, you are, well, that's, that's, a, that's exactly, that's a great point actually. Cause when we're talking about coaches, you know, are the other coaches on the staff, how much is that manager really taking their, you know, advice and, and the things that they're seeing to heart, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in, I'm actually in full agreement with you on that. We don't really know. Yeah. I mean, it's we hard, don't, it's difficult to say. Yeah. We don't know, but I do know that, uh, you know, one thing that has been told to me throughout the years is that, uh, the, the problem with stupid people is that they don't know that they're stupid. Um, so, uh, anywho, uh, moving along here. Uh, so the playoffs are here. Um, yeah. Who do you have uh, as as your uh, your team that you're that you're really rooting for in the uh, playoffs this year? Uh, well, you know, I won't call it rooting because obviously I'm a White Sox fan first and foremost. Of course. So uh, you know, if I'm really looking at anything, um. You know, you mentioned earlier in the show that the Dodgers being the first team uh, to have 100 wins four straight years in a row, I would like for them to, you know, finally kind of solidify what, I mean, we're talking about a team that's been talked about for well beyond those four years being one of the best teams in baseball. And they seem to kind of find a way to fall on their face year after year. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to, to, to the postseason, uh, you know, not always, obviously they, you know, they have an appearance in the last couple of years. Uh, but I think, uh, I think they're fine. I think this is their time. I think this is their season to, to take that uh, commissioner's trophy home. Uh, outside of that, really, I, I, you know, not having a horse in the race kind of leaves me and, and, and you know it's not just not having a horse in the race it's the disappointment of this white Sox season where i'll be completely honest with you it's tough for me to watch baseball at all right now uh i will obviously pay attention because it is my favorite of all the the four major sports uh will be my favorite of all the four major sports for the rest of my life so i'll pay attention but i don't really know that i'll have anybody that i'll be really pulling for but i think if i'm gonna make a prediction i'm gonna go with the dodgers and take the whole thing okay what about you do you have anybody you're uh you're really watching or do you have like uh you know uh, do you have a team or a guy that you're so, kind of hoping to find well, some success i mean of course we've got jake Berger, and i'd love to see for him to do well me too um i would like to see bryce harper do well and and win one that would be cool um i also wouldn't mind seeing the dodgers uh win a world series and have it be a full season world series win right. other than the uh the 60 game world series right. that they won that right. would be interesting to see um you know uh 
As far as the uh, American League goes, um, I mean, the Orioles are a lot of fun. Um, Indeed, a lot of young, a lot of young talent. I have, you know, they're the Orioles, so I have a hard time, root, you know, saying that I would root for the Orioles, especially with uh, 1983 uh, feelings about 1983 still stuck in my craw this many years later. Um, but I mean, you know, like there's the like previous years, there's not like uh, you know, other than the Twins, there really aren't teams that I hate in the playoffs personally you know i know that some people have like some some of these teams that they that they really dislike but i mean you know for me you know the brewers are fine you know phillies are fine like i I don't have a problem with any of these teams that are in there this year really other than the twins and i hope no and i'm glad you brought up big burger yeah me too <laughs> me too. But I'm glad you brought up fun. Big Burgers. You know, I actually had this conversation with uh, with somebody uh, within the last week or so, uh, and it, the, the person that I was talking with, you know, made a, a little bit of a comparison to Kyle Schwarber for Jake Berger, and I thought to myself, you know what? I won't say it's a bad comp, uh, and I like the idea of you know Jake Berger kind of having this meteoric rise since leaving the White Sox organization and going over and doing the things that he's done, and you know becoming a, a quick fan favorite in his new home after being a fan favorite here in Chicago. I couldn't be happier for the guy, honestly. But to compare him to Schwarber, I feel like if he has the same kind of postseason success that Schwarber's had over the last few years. And, you know, kind of getting that that moniker as being a, a Mr. October type of guy. Uh, Jake's doing it much earlier in his career than than the Schwarbino had well, a chance to. I mean, and yes not, and I guess no. I mean, he, he's, he's sat for a few years with injuries and stuff. So this is true. This is true. Not necessarily but, age-wise earlier, but as far as like uh, at-bats. MLB experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being up at the MLB level and and having the the games played and at bats under his belt, he's doing it sooner. So I mean, I wouldn't mind you know seeing that kind of postseason from him. Uh, it just depends on how long his team is able to uh, stay in contention in the postseason. Uh, it's not going to be an easy road for them. Yeah, no, it's not. And I know that their pitching's taken some hits here in recent right. days. So um, yeah. I, I don't know who I've got winning it. Uh, I just I've got a bunch of teams that I I would be fine with winning. I guess at this point, I just don't want the Twins to win. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, yeah, I feel you on that. I can definitely get behind. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much where I'm at. I mean I don't really uh, I don't have anybody in particular that I'm rooting for because there's a, a bunch of teams that I'd be fine with uh, with them doing things. I'd be fine, you know, with uh, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, you know, any of those, uh, the Marlins. I'd be fine with the Dodgers, even though, you know, I, I you know, that's not like uh, any kind of uh, underdogs, uh, you know, underdog scenario at all. But right. I would be personally fine with it just because, you know, the last time they won it, it was, you know, everybody was clowning them because it was in a 60-game season. And I was just kind of like, eh. I mean, and the Braves. I mean, the Braves are phenomenally good. 
So it's just a well-run organization. Yeah. Just, I mean, just such a good organization. And, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. Took me to a uh, world series win in my fantasy baseball. So, uh, yeah. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. The Schaumburg taxi squad took home the, uh, the, the championship trophy this year. And that was, you know, that was nice. So pretty good stuff. I had Schaumburg taxi squad. Did you have Andrew Vaughn on your, I I did actually, (laughs) I did, I did have Andrew Vaughn. Uh, so I had Danny uh, Danny Mendick stashed on your bench somewhere. He was the the epitome of, uh, Uber driver's dream. No, no uh, Garrett Crochet. Uh, but I did, uh, (laughs) I did have, uh, Jake Berger, uh, towards the end of the season. Um, uh, like my big players were, uh, Semyon and, uh, and uh, Cunha were like my two like really really solid guys. I also had Altuve that came back from injury uh, later on in the season, and uh, I got like two months out of him at the end of the season. Um, he kind of took up when Trout got injured because I had Trout too, <laughs> and Trout nice. got injured. Yeah, no, I had a great team. Uh, I had Snell, and uh, uh, I had Freed who was who was like injured all oh, year. Max Freed is. Um, I had Zach Gallen. I had like I had I had a great team. Like I drafted really really well. Um, Good for you. Yeah. So well, I finally you got you got all these guys coming back. You know, for the you know the push. Sounds a little bit like my uh, fantasy football team. Oh, mine's terrible. Uh, you know, not the not the <laughs> same. Not in the same conversation. Well, I I'm doing uh, what I set out to do uh, by splitting the first four games, starting my fantasy football year. Because I, uh, you know, we do an auction draft in the, in my uh, in in the money league, and uh, you know, being that you're in an auction draft, everybody has a shot at any player, right? Uh, you're not stuck in a snake where you know yeah. everybody's picking next best available guy. So you know, I made some calculated risks by taking guys like Cooper Cup, who was injured early in the off season. And when we had our draft, he had not had his setback yet. It looked like he was going to be coming back, but he knew, I knew he was coming back from a hamstring injury. Yeah. Uh, I took Jonathan Taylor knowing that he was going to be on pup list and was working towards uh, trying to be traded away from the Colts. Yeah. And now uh, after week one, week two, I had, you know, Saquon Barkley at the end of the week and week two go down with a, with a high ankle sprain and, it's he, you know, he's inactive this week again, but it's looking like next week I could have all three of these guys back on top of a team that's already uh been the highest scoring oh, look at team you. in the in the league one week and the second highest scoring team in the league this week. Uh and w- another one of the weeks I, c- I would have beaten you know more than half the league if I had played the right matchup. So, you know, I'm feeling like maybe, just maybe, in a week or two here, if these guys come back healthy, I get Saquon, Cooper Cup, and Jonathan Taylor all back and healthy and and playing well. Uh, You know, fingers crossed, buddy. Fingers crossed. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to call them. I hope hope it goes well for you because my team is probably the worst in my fantasy football league. I think I scored like 65 points this week in a PPR. Yeah, that's how Oof. bad they are. Yeah. No, they're terrible. Uh, so tonight, um, the Arizona Fall League kicked off. 
Um, currently, the Desert Dogs are losing one to nothing in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, and you've got uh, doubles from Jacob Burke and Brian Ramos. And uh, Colson Montgomery is 0 for 3 uh, with a fly out of ground out and something else. Um, and the entire team's just got three hits. Uh, Brainer Bonacio has the uh, other hit for the Desert Dogs. So, yeah, two out of three coming from uh, White Sox affiliate players. Uh, can't be mad about that. Yeah, Jake Eater is getting the start tomorrow. No stream for that game, which is unfortunate. It would be cool if we could get uh, eyes on him, but unfortunately, uh, that game is not being streamed. So uh, maybe on Friday, maybe we get uh, Yosimar Kusin. That would be kind of cool. It'd be nice to see at least some of the pitching, uh, you know, out there a little bit. Um, but uh, tonight, the uh, first three hitters for the the Desert Dogs was Jacob Burke leading off, Colson Montgomery, and then Brian Ramos. So your one, two, and three hitter were all White Sox players. So that was uh, that's that is a welcome change to uh, what I'm used to seeing from White Sox players that have been at the uh, Arizona Fall League. Uh, basically, like as as long as I can remember, like. Uh, the good prospects that we had there were generally more pitching than hitting. So uh, it's nice to have like some uh, offensive stars there as well. So um, yeah. So uh, at daily white Sox on Twitter, white Sox daily com. You can find us on our YouTube channel and uh, we have a Facebook group as well. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge at I Eskridge on Twitter. My co-host, Danny Miller, at Danny Miller WSD. You got anything else, Danny, for this week? No. Um, like I said earlier on, uh, I'm just ready to, uh, you know, see what the postseason uh, brings as far as, uh, you know, the brackets and, and, and who's going to move on. But uh, beyond that, just ready for the White Sox to get rolling in uh, into the offseason. And I'm just hoping for the best at this point, honestly, because what else do we have? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, we finally are through that awful season. <laughs> Hope, I, and, you know, like the thing was is that, like, you know, just like with the, uh, the TLR hire of having, like, the excitement yanked out from under us, we had that happen with the Getz hiring. Um, but, you know, this time. Maybe it'll turn out different than the last. Maybe uh, something will go right, and that's all we have. Is yeah, hope. you know so. we have been uh, more than optimistic and and uh, positive on this show for the last few years, uh, even after watching some really bad baseball. And I think uh, now I'm at the point where opt- I'm I'm not going to be now, you know, and we talked about this earlier this season. This was one of our big things was, okay, I'm going to give Pedro a chance. You're, everybody's going to get a fair shake. Well, you've had your fair shake. Now it's, you know, we, we've said the same thing about Rick Hahn early this season and, and going into, you know, the trade deadline and all these things that were happening. 
Can you give him the benefit of the doubt? This, you know, not gonna, not gonna wave the flag for you. Not gonna, not gonna carry you know golden chalices and and exalt your name on the heavens. But uh, I was gonna give you the benefit of the doubt, and it, we, you know, you have to show me something. Well, now there is no benefit of the doubt anymore. That that, that is gone. I am the pessimist. And now it's all about show me something. So yeah, that's uh, fair. Turning over a new leaf uh, in this off season, and I'm sure when we get into our bold prediction show at the you know at the onset of next year, which is some time off, I'm going to continue to have that same mentality, even if the Sox go out and sign two monster guys somehow and trade for some you know somebody big. I don't really give a damn. Now you got to show me. That's yeah, where I'm at. show me something. Yeah, I don't. Th- you know, I don't see them making any huge moves. But yeah, you know, you so never, either. you never know. Um, no. Yeah. So uh, thanks for everybody that came and hung out in the chat and uh, came and watched. And uh, if you were listening to this on the podcast, we appreciate you. Um, we will catch you guys uh, next week and. Um, I don't know. Maybe there'll be something interesting to talk about. Uh, we'll see what happens here with the coaching staff because, um, you know, something could happen this week, but uh, you never know. Uh, since it's the White Sox hiring somebody and we know it's going to be somebody from the Royals, we don't have to worry about them worrying. Uh, we don't have to worry about them being done with the playoffs to hire them. So they're already free. Playoffs. Yeah, exactly. They're already free. So, uh, you know, more than likely uh, any additional coaching staff hires could be done before the uh, end of this week, uh, before the next stream, because... I was going to say before the wildcard games are even over. Yeah, there are no, there are no playoffs <laughs> happening, so we don't have to worry about that. So uh, thanks for stopping in. We appreciate all you guys, and we will, we will catch you guys next week. You guys have a great night. 